0: Welcome to episode 10 of our life group study on the book of Romans. And we find ourselves in Romans chapter 10, and we're looking at verses 16 to 21 today. In the last few episodes, we've been reflecting on how people get saved. And in some ways, getting saved is the simplest thing in the world. It's very simple to understand. Paul says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then later on, he concludes that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 13. And then Paul goes on to explain the importance of evangelism, and we've been looking at that in some detail. Let's just read verses 14 to 15. He says, How then will they call on him whom, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how, to, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. At least there is one part of my body that's beautiful and it's my feet because I preach the good news and it can be the same for all of us. However, Paul observes in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Can you see why he's making this observation? If getting saved is as simple as confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, why has the gospel not influenced absolutely everybody? And we know that it hasn't had an effect because some people have not believed. We can think of them, our own work colleagues perhaps, our own family members, and we see evidence of their lack of belief because they haven't submitted their life to Christ. They they lack obedience to God's way of doing things and God's way of living and being. Let's think for an example of this. Back in the late 19th century, there was an acrobat called Charles Blondin, who was also a tightrope walker, and he used to do incredible feats of tightrope walking. He walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, he also did it with a wheelbarrow. Now just imagine for a moment that he went across those falls pushing a wheelbarrow with somebody inside. Now we know, standing on the edge of the falls, if we were there, that he can do it. He can push someone across the falls in a wheelbarrow. We understand it, but do we really believe that he can do it? And the only way that we Truly believe that we can do it is if we get into the wheelbarrow and allow him to push us across the falls. That is the evidence of the true belief. That is the evidence of true faith in Charles Blondin and his ability to push a man or a woman for that matter across the Niagara Falls in a wheelbarrow. I mean, I could say, yes, I fully understand that a chair is designed to support my weight. I can have a demonstration that it supports somebody's weight, but I only truly display my belief in that chair, my faith in that chair to support my weight if I sit down in it. And so the question that we ask today is why had so few Jews been saved? That's the question that Paul is asking. And he starts to answer that question in verse 14. I beg your pardon, verse 17. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That verse 17 is a summary of the statement that he's just given us in verse 14. And he's reminding us that the faith to believe and so to obey comes from hearing the word of Christ. And then having established this concept of hearing and the importance of it, Paul wonders whether hearing is the problem. In verse 18, he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Was hearing a problem? This is Paul's way of saying, absolutely not. And as evidence for this assertion that all the Jews had heard, Paul quotes Psalm 19, verse 4. Let's just read the first few verses of Psalm 19. It says in verse 1, Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. He's saying that just in the same way as creation has declared the glory of God to every human being. Every human being has heard the voice of creation declaring the glory of God. In the same way, the Jews had heard the gospel message, the saving message about Jesus Christ declared to them. And as we look through the Bible, we do see evidence of that. For example, when you look in in the book of Acts, when Paul went out on his missionary journeys, whenever he arrived in a town or a village, we see that he went first to the synagogue in order to declare the word about Christ, the, the message of the gospel in the synagogue. He always started with the Jews and then he moved on To the gentiles another um, evidence or other evidence of this is the fact that there was a church in rome and we know that rome was not established by paul and so many people surmise that the reason why there was a church in rome was because there were jews in jerusalem on the day of pentecost Um, we're told that in the acts of the apostles they heard the gospel message preached by peter many of them were baptized and saved. They then would have gone back and proclaimed the gospel in Rome. And of course, there were Jews from all ends of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem at that time for the, for the Feast of Pentecost. And they went out and they declared the gospel message. So hearing the word of Christ, folks, and I think it's important for us to note this, is no guarantee of salvation. So what was the reason? Paul poses another possibility. Perhaps the Jews had not understood. Look at verse 19. He says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? And then he starts to answer the question. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This is a quotation from Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. What is Paul getting at by quoting Deuteronomy 32, verse 21? Well, first, he says that the Gentiles were not a nation in the sense that they were not the nation of Israel. They were not God's special people, God's chosen people. That's the first thing that he establishes. And then the second thing, Paul refers to the Gentiles as a foolish nation. So some translations say a nation that has no understanding. And that's the right sense of the word. They were not a nation and they did not have understanding. They didn't have the same understanding that the Jews had. And yet, despite that, despite those two points, the Gentiles turned to God and believed when they heard the word of Christ. And of course that made Israel jealous because now that was what threatened the Jews, this idea that in Christ, suddenly the Gentiles were having a slice of the pie. And the fact that the Gentiles had turned meant that they had understood, even though they were not a nation, even though they lacked understanding, they still did understand. And if the Gentiles that were not a nation understood, and if the Gentiles who had no understanding understood, then the Jews could not claim a lack of understanding. Folks, the gospel message is simple to understand. Even a child can understand the gospel message and respond to it. It is not a problem of understanding. So therefore, hearing the word of Christ is no guarantee of salvation, and nor is understanding a problem. So what is the problem then? In verse 21, Paul gives us a hint. He describes the Jews as a disobedient and contrary people. He says, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That word contrary could be translated as obstinate or stubborn. Stubbornness was the problem. In short, the Jews would not submit to God's righteousness because they refused to submit to the lordship of Christ. They refuse to declare Jesus as Lord because that would mean submitting to Jesus and obeying him. And folks, this is often the problem. Well, it's not often the problem. It is always the problem for us as human beings because we want to be masters of our own destiny. We want to be the lords of our own lives. We don't want to submit to the lordship of jesus christ and that's where the problem lies it's not the fact that we haven't heard the gospel it's not the fact that we haven't understood the gospel because the gospel is simple even the gentiles understood it and they had far less understanding than the jews did yet they turned folks it is submitting we don't want to have a boss we don't want someone telling us how to live we don't want to have to obey someone else as Lord over our lives. And earlier on, Paul said that Jesus was the stumbling block, the stone that the Jews tripped over because they would not submit to him. Folks, what I'd like to do is to contrast verse 20 with verse 21. Verse 20 refers to the way that God revealed himself to the Gentiles. And then verse 21 the way that God revealed himself to the Jews. So let's have a look at those two things. How did he reveal himself to the Gentiles? And how did he reveal himself to the Jews? And what can we learn from that? So look at verse 20. The way God revealed himself to the Gentiles. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is God speaking, as quoted by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 65 verse 1 in the book of Isaiah. The thing that strikes me about this is that God is so incredibly humble. He's not standing there arrogantly and saying, they need to find me. You need to look for me. You need to take the initiative. You need to need me A proud person would say, they must want me first. They must look for me. But the Gentiles were not seeking God. They were not asking for him. And yet God showed himself to them. And I believe that this is the case for every person. God is calling out. He's wanting you to come to him. He's taking that humble position. He's not making it hard. For himself to be found. God is closer than we could ever imagine. And there's this third clause in Isaiah 65, verse 1, that's missing here in Romans. And and in Isaiah it says that God calls out, He says, Here I am, here I am, repeated to a nation that was not called by my name. How did God reveal Himself to the Gentiles? He called out to the Gentiles. He said, here I am, here I am. It's incredibly gracious. It's incredibly humble. And God is doing it to all of us. He is calling out to us. But let's have a look at the way in which he revealed himself to the Jews, because we're wanting to compare these two things and see what it teaches us. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is Isaiah 65, verse 2. It's the next verse. Can you see that in the way that God revealed himself to the Jews, there was an even greater degree of humility and urgency. There is this picture of not only God calling out, but humbly holding out his hands as well, imploring the Jews to come to him. And so, folks, hearing wasn't the problem, nor was understanding the problem, because God had taken the initiative to reveal himself to the Jews, humbly calling, holding out his hands to them, but they remained disobedient because stubbornness was the problem. They simply would not accept that Jesus was God's righteousness and submit to him as Lord, and heaven forbid that we would do the same thing to God. God is closer than you think. His arms are outstretched to you. He's calling out to you. The question is, are you prepared to submit? Are you prepared to obey? So the unbelief of Israel was attributed in chapter 9 to God's purposes in election. I'm not going to take a lot of time to go over that again now, because we've already been through it. But in chapter 10, Paul attributes Israel's uh, lack of belief to their stubbornness and refusal to submit. So on the one hand, there was God's sovereignty in election. And on the other hand, there was man's choice, choosing whether he would be stubborn and refuse or submit to the Lordship of Christ. And you might ask me, well, which is it? Is it the sovereignty of God, his purpose in election, or is it my choice? Well, it's both. It's both of them. Somehow, these two truths are held together in a mystery that we don't fully understand. God has chosen, but we also need to choose. We need to choose God to decide to submit to him. The early Christian Jews had made sure that their fellow Jews had heard the word of Christ. Their voice had gone out to all the earth, Paul says here, and their words to the ends of the world. And folks, it is only through hearing the message that saving faith is stirred up in a person. That's why Trevor went to so much trouble to talk last episode about what that message is what is the content of that message it's very simple it's very straightforward but what is it because we need to declare it people need to hear it and so what in the light of that i would like you to um, answer and discuss the following five questions the first one question one is to ask how is your voice going out i mean the jews had gone the christian jews those jews who had been converted and submitted to the lordship of christ Man, Paul is telling us that their voice had gone out to all Christian Jews throughout the Roman Empire. Isn't that incredible? How is your voice going out, especially if that is key to people being saved? Question two, why is hearing and understanding the gospel message not enough to be saved? Question three, how should we respond when a person has heard And understood the gospel message but will not believe and submit to the lordship of christ and then question four what effect would you expect to see in the life of a person who believes himself or herself to be saved what 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 fruit would you expect to see especially in the light of what we've learned today and then question five is jesus the lord of every area of your life if not, what needs to change? And I'll leave, the you know, I'll leave it at your discretion whether you want to answer that question publicly or not in your, in your groups. Thank you so much um, for gathering together. I just love the fact that Harvest has got such a strong life group movement. I think it's essential for us to grow in the faith. Growing in the faith does not happen in isolation. It's a bit like cutting this thumb off, sticking it over there and expecting it to grow. It's not going to grow unless it's connected to the body. It's not going to be healthy unless it's connected to the body. And the way we connect to the body obviously is, is through fellowship on a Sunday, but also as important, more important maybe, um, life groups as well, doing life together in these special groups. Thank you so much for, for, for signing in and for being with us. And I trust that God and pray that God blesses your time together this evening or this afternoon, whenever it is that you're meeting. Goodbye for now.